The Garden Question is a podcast for people that love designing, building, and growing smarter gardens that work. Listen in as we talk with successful garden designers, builders, and growers, discovering their stories along with how they think, work, and grow. This is your next step in creating a beautiful, year-round, environmentally connected, low-maintenance, and healthy, thriving outdoor space. It doesn't matter if you're a beginner or an expert, there will always be something inspiring when you listen to the Garden Question podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Craig McManus. It's the details that matter when designing, building, or maintaining your hardscape outdoor living spaces. Our guest for this episode, Aaron Pfeiffer, entered the hardscape industry in 2012. He is now the director of U.S. sales for Technosil, an industrial leader and innovator for hardscape accessories. He talks about why properly built and maintained hardscapes should last multiple generations. We also discuss innovations that will stimulate your creative juices and make your next hardscape project easier to install. Aaron reveals the focal point of his family's future hardscape outdoor living project. The story begins with a newly acquired championship-sized Japanese maple. This is episode 32, Hardscape Details That Matter, with Aaron Pfeiffer on the Garden Question Podcast. You're invited to ask your garden design, build, or grow question at the Garden Question. Not only do you get a chance to ask your own question, but you might inspire the next episode of the Garden Question podcast. So go to thegardenquestion.com and ask your question. Aaron, why are we seeing a growth in demand for outdoor living spaces? We saw it trending up for a number of years pre-COVID, and then COVID lockdown happened. All of us in hardscapes, outdoor living, were panicking just like everybody else back in April of last year. And then we just saw a boom like we were never expecting, and we're still on that wild ride right now. What the customers are telling us is they want to spend time at home or they're trapped at home and didn't realize all the things that they wanted to do there. Instead of taking those vacations and all those things that people spend money on during COVID, we saw people really investing into their homes. And an outdoor living space is obviously an extension of your home. Uh, People want to be outside, especially during that COVID lockdown. You know, nobody wants to sit in their house anymore and they're going into their backyards and going, I wish I had a space out here that was an extension of my home. So that's where we see the outdoor living spaces take off. We see people want to get together with family and friends in a space that is comfortable and inviting. Uh, They want to do it uh, in their backyards and have it be the epicenter of their family's activities, their neighbor's activities, their friend's activities. We love to see it, and it's been a really fun last couple of years, even wilder than it was before. What are some of the cool and unusual projects you're seeing out there? All sorts of projects from people taking little alleyways between houses and turning them into cool little spots. Breweries taking old, sad-looking parking lots and turning them into great music venues to people in remote houses putting a helicopter pad out of permeable pavers in their backyard. I get to see a lot of cool spaces. The most is people want those communal spaces that bring people together, and you see that not only in our residential work, but in our commercial work as well, from the smallest of restaurants to the biggest of corporations wanting an outdoor space where people can get together and feel comfortable. 
How do you see hardscapes increasing the value of your home? I think it comes back to the fact that it's an extension of your home. You're creating a room outside, and that's what you're seeing. It used to just be you saw a patio or you saw a walkway, but now you see, I want a patio and I want a pool. And now with that pool, I want a full cabana. And you know what? I want that cabana covered on three sides. I want ceiling fans in it. I want an outdoor kitchen in it. I want my TV in it so I can watch the game. And then all of a sudden, you've built a whole room outside without putting HVAC in it. You have electricity, you have lights, you have everything you need to cook. A lot of the times you're basically adding a second kitchen onto your house when you're building these beautiful outdoor grill islands and stuff like that. The kitchen's the most expensive room in your house. I would know we're renovating a 100-year-old house right now. Imagine adding a second kitchen to your house. How's that not going to add value? I believe hardscape projects should last multiple generations, and I've seen some that don't. Why do some projects start falling apart after a few years? I'm going to assume that we have good craftsmanship. What could happen that the homeowner or the business owner could do to let that project get neglected? Just simple maintenance, taking care of stuff. You wouldn't not vacuum your floor in your house or sweep and mop your floor in your house you got to do the same with your outdoor living space it's simple stuff like that you know people not blowing the leaves off of their patios people having this nice metal furniture that they buy and then leaving it sitting there all winter long in northern climates letting snow sit on it then all these rust rings get onto your patio just simple maintenance stuff like that it needs a little tlc at technoseal you have products that can protect you from the elements the sun the water dogs and cats kids your drunk neighbors spilling stuff on it whatever it is if it's a quality install it could absolutely last generations concrete gets stronger every day it's in the ground the concrete's not going to go anywhere if the base is good it's not going to go anywhere it's just simple maintenance things cleaning and sealing uh, those are things things that you can do to protect that investment you've made in your outdoor living space. Let's say you want to upgrade or retrofit an existing cracked walk or drive or patio. Is there an easy way to do that? With interlocking pavers, yeah, you definitely have to get to the source. What's causing that? It could just be some settling in your base material and stuff like that. That's the great thing about interlocking pavers or irregular natural stone or something like that is you can pick it up and you can look underneath it, see what's causing the issue, fix it relatively easy, and then place it right back down, re-poly sand it, reseal it if you need to, look as good as new. That's the advantage of pavers versus stamped concrete or something like that. If you get a big crack in your stamped concrete, yeah, you can fix it, but you're always going to see that crack a little bit. Even if you had the paver get so damaged that it was destroyed, you could still take that one paver out and put another paver in and go right back to working. All of our uh, quality installers out there always leave a few pavers behind. They almost always tell the customer to leave them outside somewhere because they want them to weather the same as the pavers that are in the ground. If you put those pavers in the garage, it won't weather. And if you were to do a replacement at some point, it would look a little different. If you leave it sitting out in the sun, just like your patio and you need to use that replacement one day it'll slide right in there you'll never even know when you're done repairing it that you ever had an issue beforehand what about cracked poured concrete and you want to retrofit it with pavers on top of it? Do you have to mix up a mortar and set it? Or are there easier ways to do that? You can actually take an existing concrete slab and overlay it with a 30 mil overlay paver and be able to drive a car on it, which is kind of unheard of. We have a product called Drive On, which is a polymer enhanced dry mud set. And basically what that means is it comes in a 50 pound bag. It almost looks like concrete powdered sugar when you open it up. It's very, very fine. You 
you scree that out a quarter inch thick, lay the pavers over top of it, and actually water it in through the cracks of the pavers. When it's done, that dry bond will veneer the paver straight to the slab at over 6,800 PSI. You actually don't have interlocking concrete paving at that point. You actually have a veneer at that point. You have veneered whatever paver, 30 mil to 100 mil plus paver. We've done it with, with all sorts of different pavers. You can actually veneer that concrete driveway. And instead of taking out all that concrete and dumping it, especially if you have a pretty decent looking driveway and you just want to change the way it looks, it can save days of time for the contractor and tens of thousands of dollars for the homeowner as well. So you're not having to build a whole new base as long as you've got a good strong base in your existing concrete, you're good to go on that. Exactly. And even if you have some cracks in there, or even if you had one section that was pretty severely damaged, you could cut that section out, re-pour it, and then take the drive on and go over top of all of it. You'd never see that you re-poured that one section, obviously, once you overlaid it with the drive on under your new pavers. What about a poured concrete wall? Is there an easy way to veneer that? Masonry work is a tough job. A skilled mason is sometimes a hard thing to come by. It's a trade that is very demanding on time and a little uh, slow and taxing. And even when a hardscaper tries to go into masonry, it can be difficult for him or especially a homeowner. We keep trying to come up with products to make our hardscapers' lives easier. We have a product now called Sticky Stone, which is an instant stick vertical adhesive. If you can glue two pieces of paper together, you can now veneer a CMU wall, poured concrete wall, like you said, anything like that with natural stone, outdoor porcelain, cultured stone, anything like that. It comes in an applicator gun. You run the adhesive vertical beads every three inches on the back of the stone, stick the stone up, press it against the wall, let go. That's it. You're done. You move on to the next one. That sounds revolutionary. You don't have to put scratch coat, plow wire, and all that. Totally eliminate the lath, the scratch coat, all of that. You can use it interior and exterior. You can use it on pressure-treated wood, non-pressure-treated wood, drywall, CMUs, poured concrete, anything like that. And we can stick even really dense materials that are normally hard to get to hang even with mortar, like granite or a mirror or something like that. It'll hang almost anything. In testing, we've gotten it to hang freestanding, so nothing holding it underneath, up to 28 pounds a square foot, which your typical natural stone near shouldn't be more than 15 to 16 pounds a square foot. I've actually sat there in demos and hung 60 millimeter concrete pavers with nothing supporting it underneath. Wow, that's amazing. We've been working on that one for several years, and we were very excited to launch it this year. COVID made it a little difficult on us. We got it fully launched and across North America this summer, and the feedback we've gotten has been tremendous. We just uh, come off of our industry trade show in Louisville, Hardscape North America, last month. We demoed it for three days straight out there and got tremendous feedback again. You can find that at Hardscape dealers across the country now. We're really excited about that one. So a DIYer could do that too without any problem. Absolutely. So yeah, that's actually the feedback we've been getting so far from our dealer network. All of our dealers always get a lot of DIYers coming in. Sticky Stone, they say, is a great one for them, as well as products we have like Easy Base, which is a base replacement, a structure bond, stuff like that. Masonry work isn't easy, and even if you get the hang of it, you're probably going to be pretty slow at doing it. 
Yeah. For a homeowner, you can get your 10 and 12 year old kids out there and have them helping you do it. It's very, very simple. What about if you wanted to build a block wall, would you use sticky stone or is there another product? Is there a substitute for doing mortar and concrete block wall? I guess is what I'm looking for. We actually have a product called Structure Bond, which is a foam adhesive. What typically happens when you use a regular hardscape adhesive for horizontal surfaces, when you're gluing two things together, sitting on top of each other, is you get a layer of glue that you're floating on. Problem is, if you're building a grill island or something like that out of a 4 by 8 by 12 concrete, Weston stone, tumbled style block, is that those blocks are actually sliding around on you. Well, the advantage of using Structure Bond, which is a foam, is that it actually collapses and soaks into both pieces of concrete while you're working and sets up in only eight minutes. Now you actually have the block-on-block friction working for you. You can build a lot higher and a lot faster. And I also have a customer up in Maine, I'll give them a shout out, Jeunesse Concrete. They have this system called the Comfort Block System where they take their CMUs and they plane them down to within like one one hundredth of an inch of each other. And they actually don't use any mortar at all in their system. They only glue these CMUs together with structure bond. And they have it NCMA approved to take Miami-Dade wind test approval to build houses out of this stuff. You can go up to Maine and those guys will take you around and show you full CMU houses built with their comfort block system that there's not a bit of mortar on the entire house, only structure bond is holding it together. Just for people that don't know what CMUs are, what is a CMU? Cinder block, a concrete masonry unit. Yeah, your typical gray block, yep. Okay, if I take my concrete blocks and build my foundation for my house or my whole house with structure bond, what's the inspector gonna say? Is he gonna be familiar or is he going to look at you crazy? Probably going to look at you crazy. The other thing is you have to have really good tolerances on your cinder block. Sometimes they can have a little bit of range in them because it doesn't really matter because you're going to have that bed of mortar to level them out every course. For now, he'd probably still look at you pretty crazy unless you were in Maine or where those guys have made that comfortable course with any new system like that. It comes with some learning curves, especially for government agencies and stuff like that. Yeah, we could get you the paper paperwork to show that it is a mortar equivalent and can be used that way. If you go to Europe, that's actually a somewhat uh, prevalent way of building with CMUs now is using structure bond to build buildings. And over there, you can build buildings several stories tall with it, actually. Good grief. And this is all in a can equivalent to a spray paint can. You're building houses with the adhesive. Spray paint can's a good way to describe it visually for someone who's never seen it. Yeah, spray paint can with a special gun on the end of it. And inside that one spray paint can is the equivalent of 20 regular tubes of adhesive. So almost two full cases of a traditional hardscape adhesive you'd go get in the big box stores is in the one spray paint can size. If you had two cases of Structure Bond 24 cans, you'd have the equivalent of a pallet of traditional adhesive sitting at your fingertip. Wow. And another great thing about Structure Bond is it's a moisture cure. So if your block's wet, your block's frozen, it'll actually make Structure Bond set up faster. With a traditional adhesive, you're worried if a blocks wet you're normally laying them out in the sun trying to get them to dry or taking a blow torch or a leaf blower and trying to dry them out so yeah a wet block or a frozen block is actually no problem for structure bond as well hmm. i can see that change in the industry we've had that product out for maybe five years now it's been an amazing product for us it's still surprising i still talk to people every week who haven't seen it or haven't used it it's one of those things where once you start using it it's pretty hard to go back to a traditional adhesive it bonds to over thirty thousand. PSI when it's cured. It's actually four times stronger
stronger than a piece of concrete. Is sealing a concrete paver or stone project really necessary? It's not necessary. Of course, the concrete can survive on its own without sealer, but it's adding a warranty to your hardscape project. If you spend $60,000, $80,000 on your backyard, why would you not spend another two, three, four thousand dollars to add that warranty and protection to it? It's just like when you go and buy a new car. Do you take the full coverage warranty on it for another couple thousand dollars in case something does happen? A lot of times people do. Sometimes people don't. That's their choice. If you have your first day of your brand new paver driveway and the UPS guy has a heavy package and he pulls into your driveway and his truck has a leak, then all of a sudden you have oil stains all over your brand new driveway and you're calling your contractor back out there and getting him to try to remove pavers, which from the middle of an interlocking concrete system is not the easiest thing to do, and replace them where if you had sealed that, you could simply have gone out there, wiped up that oil with a paper towel and gone about your day. It's a warranty just like you get a warranty on your car or home. It's that protection. It's that peace of mind from kids and his friends at their birthday party, filling a hot dog and Kool-Aid all over your brand new paver patio. Your friend having a little too much to drink and knocking their glass of red wine all over your brand new patio. Your pets having an accident on it. Anything like that. It's peace of mind. It's a warranty. It's going to make it look like it's brand new still for years to come and prevent some of that aging and weathering that can happen. How do you put sealers down? Where do you start? You want to start with examining the surface and making sure that it's ready for a sealer, which basically means you want to make sure it's clean and you've removed any stains. If you do have stains on there, we have cleaners that can take care of those stains from rust to paint to oil, anything like that. We have specialty cleaners that could take off any of those stains for you. And then you want the surface to be prepared for sealing with a cleaner. Normally that would be using an efflorescence cleaner. Efflorescence is a natural occurring thing in concrete, which sometimes you can see efflorescence as a white chalky substance on the surface of a piece of concrete. Sometimes you can't see it at all. The funny thing about sealing is if you seal it, it can make that efflorescence is not even visible to your eye pop. So you take a light cleaning of that and that's by simply taking that mixture we have, cutting it with water, putting it in a watering can or a five gallon bucket with holes punched in the lid, pouring that all over the surface, brushing it just to agitate it for 30 seconds and rinsing it right off. That's all you need to do to clean it. And then sealing is simple. A homeowner can do a sealer up to, of course, a professional. You could seal if you wanted to in a pinch with just a paint roller and an extension handle like you were painting the ceiling in your bedroom. Guys that do it professionally will use a sprayer and then back roll it. It's a very simple process. Normally two mornings or a couple hour sessions, one to clean it the first day and then the second day to come and seal it. I'm cleaning it. Can I just use a pressure washer rather than put any kind of special chemicals on it? Yeah, you don't really want to use a pressure washer. Pressure washer is going to force a lot of water into the paver. And if you're going to come back and seal it the next day, could have some issues there, especially if you put a film forming sealer on there because you basically just slammed a lid on top of that paver. Then all that water is going to try to come out at some point when it would normally just evaporate, then you'd be stuck in the sealer and you could get like a cloudy look on you. You can use a pressure washer with a wide tip or a rotating tip to help you move the cleaner around if you wanted to, but you definitely don't ever want to touch a paver period with your zero degree tip on a pressure washer. I've been to, unfortunately, a lot of jobs where people have almost written their name in the pavers with their zero degree tip or their 15 degree tip from their pressure washer. 
Yeah, any hardscape manufacturer would tell you to keep the narrow tip far away from your pressure washers. And probably just in general, unless you really know what you're doing with your pressure washer and have a rotating tip, to just keep it off your hardscapes in general. Heard some people talk about using muriatic acid on pavers. Is that a good idea? Muriatic acid is pretty harsh on pavers. I would not pour muriatic acid directly onto pavers. You might get lucky and be able to do it and not have any issues. Probably four out of five times you're going to not be able to work quickly enough and you're going to end up eating the face of the paver off and when you're done you'll either see the color is gone out of the pavers or all the aggregate showing or a combination of both uh, if you pour muriatic acid on there and you were to start rinsing it off five seconds later you would see your water is the color of your pavers that's because you're washing the color out of the concrete and the paver itself yeah i'd steer clear from muriatic acid as well more hardscape details that matter after this TheGardenQuestion.com is an awesome website because we expand each podcast episode with accurate resources and links for gardeners. You can also listen to every single episode again as many times as you like. Think of it as an extension of the podcast at TheGardenQuestion.com. Your pavers have been down a few years and you start to be seeing moss or algae or, or even weeds. How do you need to attack that? Moss and algae, pretty easy to get rid of. Uh, we have a product called Organic Stain Remover, which is almost looks like a powdered laundry detergent. About 10 scoops into a watering can. Pour it on there, agitate it, let it sit for five minutes, come back and rinse it right off and you've knocked off that algae, the leaf stains, all that kind of stuff. Weeds, normally you got to check your sand and your joints at that point. If they have a polymeric sand in there, that's one of the main things polymeric sand should keep away is weeds. But if they put just a regular joining sand in there, you'll probably start to see weeds over time. That's when you could actually blow out those joints and replace them with a polymeric sand. You know, we have a polymeric sand called NOCO, which doesn't even require any compaction that you could sweep in those joints and water and activate it in and keep weeds, anthills, stuff like that from ever coming back into your hardscapes. Yeah, that was my next question is ants how would you prevent that that's just using the polymeric sand then yeah absolutely and our polymeric sands can get you to well over a thousand psi in your joints so you have to have some really determined ants at that point to make their way through it ants and weeds are honestly probably the two main reasons that we came out with polymeric sand back in 1999 was those were two really common issues with interlocking concrete pavers back then you got this beautiful outdoor space, and in two days, five anthills are coming out through the joints of it. Once you've cleaned it, and maybe you need to re-sand, do you seal and sand, or do you sand and seal with the polymeric? I would sand and seal. Your professional guys that do a lot of hardscape repairs and cleaning and sealing across the U.S. and Canada, they're normally offering three services. They're normally offering rejointing, which would be blowing out your old sand and adding new sand. Then they would be offering a cleaning and then they will be offering a sealing. Not every time you need all those things, obviously. Some of our polymeric sands come with a 15 year warranty, so you're not gonna need to do that every time. That would be the step is you'd re-sand it first, then you clean it, then you seal it. All right, as far as sealers, I know I've seen wet sealers. I've seen sealers that you couldn't tell were there after they did it. Walk us through the sealer choices. Yeah, so we have um, we have several different options out there. Uh, you know, you're normally talking about the way the sealer is composed. There's two options. There's a film forming sealer and there's a non film forming sealer or a penetrating sealer. 
Both have different pros and cons. Penetrating sealers like our natural look, which is very unsatisfying after you're done with it because you'll seal it and be done and it'll be dried and you can't tell at all. It looks just like the paver did beforehand. But then once you see the first bit of rain on it or anything like that, that rain will bead and it'll look like you just rain your car windshield for the first time. And it'll bead any stain off of it. Food, alcohol, oil, anything like that will just bead right on the surface. You can wipe it back up. So that's purely protection. One of our most popular products is our Color Boost product. That's a product that is also a penetrating sealer, but it will make the blend in your paver really pop. So if you have a two color or a three color blend paver, normally what people say is, I really like my paver when it's wet. What do they want? They want those colors to look darker and bolder. That's what that color boost does is it gives all that pop of color. Still a penetrating sealer, so it's not putting a film on the surface and it's not making it any more shiny. The advantage is a penetrating sealer over a film forming sealer when you want a color change. If I go seal a pool deck, let's say, what's the first question mom's going to ask? Is it slippery? Exactly. With a penetrating sealer, it's not going to change the slipperiness at all. So that's a great one for pool decks and for families as well. We have uh, our film forming sealers, which are also joint stabilizing sealers as well. So if you didn't use polymeric sand, you use a traditional joining sand. It'll stabilize the sand and seal the paver at the same time. And we have those in your wet look, your satin look, and your natural look as well. It's kind of our, our lineup. You got those four looks. You have the natural look, a color boost, a satin look, and a wet look. And we offer them a couple different finishes, water-based, solvent-based, stuff like that. What about if my paver's faded? Is that where you'd use the color boost? Yeah, color boost or like a solvent-based wet look is normally the two things you see people go to to really give them some life again. Those are the two that are going to give you the most bold pops of color back into your hardscapes would either be the color boost or our solvent-based wet look, which we call WLWR. Are they environmentally safe? Almost all of our line these days is water-based. We only have a couple solvent-based SKUs left. About 10, 15 years ago, California became such a big market for cleaning and sealing and so many environmental regulations from California that we pushed so much of our R&D into water-based. Yeah, all of our water-based are low VOC, all those good things. Environmentally friendly, definitely going to be your water-based sealers because most solvent-based sealers are going to be xylene-based. So water-based is the way to go. A lot of our sealer line, which you can sell in Southern California, which is the tightest, most stringent regulations of anywhere in North America. And the other good thing about TechnoSeal is we make what we sell, which is a little unique for our space. Uh, we actually uh, have our own 70,000 square foot in-house liquids manufacturing facility. So we make all of our cleaners and sealers ourselves. We do all of our R&D with our eight-person R&D team up in Montreal ourselves. We're always coming out with new things. We want our sealers to last longer, to look bolder, to give better protection and be better for the environment. And we're always working all the time to keep improving our sealers and coming out with new stuff. What's on the horizon of new products that you've got coming? Oh, that's a secret. I can't tell you. <laughs> I mean, what I will say is everything that we're doing on our hardscapes division, which is our U.S. division, our pro division, is we want to make our hardscapers' lives easier. It's very hard in hardscapes, just like everywhere right now, to find labor and to find skilled labor. So we want products that will make it easier to install pavers, quicker to install hardscapes. At the end of the year, if you use our products, we can save you days and hopefully weeks off of your uh, installs throughout the year. So you can put in more jobs 
and be more profitable at the end of the year. So that's what we're always looking to do. We have a great in-house R&D team. We have our sister company, Belgard is the biggest paver manufacturer in the U.S. They give us a lot of feedback. So many of our great ideas come from our contractors who say, hey, look, I got this problem. I think I got this solution, but I don't have the time to mess with it. Do you think you could turn that idea into something real? Look, if you have a, an idea of something uh, that you think could save hardscapers time and money, I always want to hear it. Uh, we're always looking for the next thing. Uh, we pride ourselves in being the industry innovators for hardscape accessories. Yeah, we got some good stuff cooking in the labs. Can't let you have all my secrets today. <laughs> Thought I, I had to ask. Yeah. And we've talked a lot about pavers, but what about natural stone and laying it on your base? It can be kind of scary or intimidating to do that, especially for the homeowner. Is there an easy way to do that? Yeah, I mean, it's a daunting task if I said, homeowner, here, why don't you mortar set yourself a thousand square feet of irregular flagstone? It's a pretty skilled job to do. We're coming out with products all the time that can make that easier. So instead of you having to put in eight inches of crush and run or put in a concrete slab to set your natural stone on, we have a product called Easy Base, which is a three-quarter inch, for lack of a better term, like styrofoam interlocking sheet that can act as your base substitute. Instead of excavating a foot down or 10 inches down, you can now excavate three or four inches down, which if you're a homeowner is a lot easier to do if you don't have a skid steer and all that kind of stuff at your disposal. You can lay that down. Now you're still to the point where, okay, I've laid my natural stone. Now what do I do? I'm, I'm gonna mortar these joints together. That's also a pretty daunting task, but we have products that can be used as mortar substitutes. So we have our product line called NOCO, which stands for no compaction. Now your typical polymeric sands require compaction for strength. Our NOCO product actually don't require any compaction at all, which is great for natural stone installs because it's tough to put a plate tamp on natural stone, especially big irregular flagstone pieces and stuff like that. You, you worry about them shifting and moving and cracking on you. So you can sweep that NOCO into the joint, water it in. NOCO is so strong, uh, we almost call it a mortar substitute. That's the strongest polymeric sand we make. Say you're on a day like today where it's raining outside and you want to continue to work or you have a water management issue and you want the water to be able to go through your joints. You want to have a zero slope on your patio. We also have a product called NOCO Storm and that product actually also doesn't require compaction. It's actually activated by air, not by water, is how the polymers work on that. It comes in a tub with a sealed bag inside. When you cut that sealed bag open, it actually starts working on you and you slow down the process with water. So you have the damp stones or pavers. You take a squeegee or broom and your garden hose and you move that sand around and move it into the joints. And that's how you joint the product with NOCO Storm. And the great thing about that product is, is that it's permeable. So it can allow the water to flow through. It's a great option both hardscapers and homeowners as well, they want to put patios in completely flat with no slope or pitch. So what if I have a base of 89 stone? Would you need to put anything under that to keep it from going past your pavers? And what you see with people using NOCO Storm is using open graded base. They're almost setting it up just like a traditional permeable paver install uh, where they have their 57 stone base and then their 89 stone uh, or eights or nines, whatever they have locally available as their bedding layer and then setting the stones on top of that, having the uh, NOCO storm in the joints, which gives you the look of polymeric sand, but the performance of that eight or nine stone joint that you would normally have in a permeable system. That's interesting. I've not used that before. 
Is water gum penetrate as fast as if it were an 89? Depending on the joint size and all that, about 50 to 70 inches an hour going through that product. Typical permeable install can be, depending on the joint size and what stone you have, if you had a really wide joint with eights in it, you could get like close to three, 400 inches an hour. If you get more than 50 inches of rain an hour, you already have bigger issues than your patio at that point anyway. We only get 50 inches of rain on average a year in Georgia. Yeah, you'll, uh, you'll need to get in your boat if you got it in an hour yeah <laughs> now i've seen 20 inches in a you know 24 hours that's not fun yeah at that point i think uh the storm water systems failed anyway so yeah you're in trouble anyway at that point yeah. it did what do you wish people would do differently when designing or building or growing a garden or even hardscapes? I just think sometimes people are looking at how it's going to look from like an overhead shot from a drone. That's not how you live your life. You don't live your life 40 feet in the air taking a picture with a drone. Yeah, that's going to look cool on your Instagram pictures and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, you're living your life standing five, six feet off the surface. And so that's where you want it to be visually appealing and beautiful and functional is from when you're standing there and using the space itself. I think in hardscapes and outdoor living in general, we're all addicted to that awesome Instagram picture and that awesome post and hashtag, which is very cool. And if your job looks cool from the sky, that is awesome. But at the end of the day, your homeowner is not a bird. Your homeowner is a human that's standing on that surface all the time looking at it. It's got to be functional and beautiful when you look at it that way. That would be my biggest thing is we always look at these 3D designs and stuff from all these overhead shots, but that's not how we're experiencing the space. We're experiencing the space standing in it. Tell us a funny garden story. Actually, one of the first memories of gardening and outdoor living is my mother at the house we grew up in was a huge avid gardener and had this big garden out in front. She always had these three fake black snakes that she threw out there to keep animals away. For some reason, pre-dug a bunch of holes the night before, and this was in the summer, and we were back out there the next morning to plant plants. She was going to put a plant in a hole, and she thought that I, who was probably four or five at the time, had jokingly stuck the toy black garden snake in the hole. So she went down to grab it to pick it up and throw it out, and it was a real black snake. And it moved around in her hand, and we both were across the yard in about half a second. After that, she got rid of the black snake to keep her from ever having that incident again. But that was a good way to get your day started and wake up, was grabbing the toy snake, and it starts moving on you and wiggling. That may win the prize for all the times I've asked that question. <laughs> uh, good, yeah. My mother was big into growing vegetables in a garden. We lived in uh, North Carolina. I just always think of daylilies as well. I always think of pulling into my grandmother's house in the springtime, and she just had these two banks on either side of her driveway that were just slammed full of these beautiful, big, orange daylilies that always sprouted in the spring and seemed to last forever. Every house I've been in with my wife, I always plant some daylilies. I don't have a great green thumb. That's why I'm in the concrete side of it. I'm more of a hardscape kind of guy. But I always make sure to plant some daylilies to remind me of my grandmother's house. Great memory. Why did you decide to pursue the hardscape profession? It's one of those things where I didn't choose it. It chose me, I think. I came from a retail background and ended up in a landscape supply dealership. You walked into our dealership and you had two sides of the store. You had a power equipment side and you had a hardscape side. And it just so happened that we had several guys in this store that I was running that knew a lot about power equipment and were comfortable with it. And not very many people knew about hardscapes. And so I was lucky enough to 
learned from one guy who was there working with me who taught me all about hardscapes and pavers and retaining walls and, and all that. And I was fortunate enough to have a big customer give us a chance when we definitely weren't the big paver guys in town back then. And we got 90% of his business. It was trial by fire, drinking from a fire hose, learning pavers and learning hardscapes. Just really took to it. I really loved the dealer side of it and being with contractors every day. I've been here at Technoseal for six years now. You know, an opportunity presented itself. I decided to come on to the manufacturer rep side. It's been a great ride from somebody who used to just cover a few states to being lucky enough to lead a team that covers the whole country. I just really like personal relationship business that is hardscapes and outdoor living and the communities you see in our industry from the Facebook groups to the guys that are all competing against each other in town, being friends, dealers talking to each other. They might compete against each other, but still call each other if their contractor needs a pallet of this or pallet of that and make sure they're taking care of them. So it's just a really tight knit group and it's a welcoming group to new people. It's awesome to see so many new young hardscapers that we have. If I can just help all these people who are braver than me to go all be small business owners, go out and make a little bit extra money and be able to pay their guys a little more, get more jobs in the ground, all that, then it's a pleasure to be able to, to do that. And so that's what we try to do. In your professional career, who's been your biggest influencer? My biggest influencer in my hardscapes career would be my friend David Burns. He owns a company called Hardscapes Unlimited here where I live in the upstate of South Carolina. He was that contractor I was just talking about. They gave me a chance back in the day to earn his business. He puts in about three or four driveways a week up here, and he puts in big driveways. I learned a lot through him and being able to earn his business. I'm lucky enough to still have a friendship with him that's a decade old at this point. Yeah, he puts in a lot of polymeric sand. That's great. But at the end of the day, he's a guy that I could call if I needed anything and he'd be right there. He's a father of three like I'm a father of three. Yeah, he's just taught me a lot, and he's a super humble guy, and I'm happy to uh, have him as a friend and, of course, a customer. What's your most valuable garden mistake? My most valuable garden mistake would be letting my wife help in the garden. You letting her hear this? Yeah, if she hears this, she'll probably be mad, but she'd be doing a life sentence if you could get convicted for murdering plants, I'll, I'll say that. Every house plant we've ever had or anything like that is crunchy and dead. She stays inside. She does all the interior designing and making our inside of our house look beautiful. And, and I stick to the outside, making sure we got the beautiful patio and all that and beautiful flowers and everything, shrubs to go with it. I'd like for you to complete this statement. In my garden, I have. In my garden, I have the two things I've talked about already. I have pavers and I have daylilies. That's, you could find my house pretty easy in the springtime. A lot of big orange and yellow daylilies and a beautiful patio for my kids to play in. I got to practice what you preach when you're in hardscape. So at our home, we had a little 10 by 10 slab of a patio. We never used it. I was lucky enough to get a nice 900 square foot patio installed with some Bellegarde Mega Bell and a Weston Stone fire pit. I'm not just being an advertisement for hardscapes, but it really did change how my family hung around the house. We spent so much more time outside once we had our patio. It was crazy. A million pictures of my kids growing up on that patio. Me and my wife sitting on the patio while they're 20 feet away, swinging on their swing set and playing in the yard and on the playgrounds. That would be mine. Uh, what are your future plans for your garden? Future plans? Well, I just lost my beautiful backyard because we sold our house. Uh, we're renovating a family house on my wife's side right now. 
we're starting from square one. But I will say my yard right now has maybe the biggest Japanese maple on the face of the earth in it right now. So I have this beautiful focal point to build around in the backyard. We're going to build something around that. Uh, Once we get the house finished, renovated, we'll put in a patio and all that. Uh, Of course, my wife and kids want a pool right now. I won't have two nickels to rub together if we do that tomorrow. We'll have to wait. But if you ask my wife, she'd tell you the plan would be for a pool. But I'll say, let's go for a patio first. Then we'll get a pool and, and everything else done. But yeah, I got this just beautiful, beautiful Japanese maple that is just ginormous sitting in the middle of our backyard. So that's what we'll build around. Yeah, that's a good focal point. That Japanese maple is pretty impressive. When we were buying the house, I, I sent it to a couple of my good friends who are doing a lot of landscaping and hardscapes. They were all jealous of it and said they'd bring a crane and come yank it out of my yard if I wanted <laughs> Is it a weeping Japanese maple or is it an upright? Telling you, I don't know how this thing got this big, but it is 20 feet tall and then the branches go all the way to the ground and it's probably 35 feet around. I mean, when I say it's the biggest one I've ever seen, it really is. Well, how big is the trunk? Probably almost a foot, which doesn't make any sense either for a Japanese maple. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like championship quality there. My wife's great-grandmother's house and she had quite the green thumb and it uh, was one of her prides of her yard that she lived in for 50 years. Aaron, tell us about Technoseal and how people may connect with you. Yeah, you can find Technoseal on any of your social media channels. You can reach out to us on our, our Facebook page, our Instagram, LinkedIn, anything like that. Technoseal is celebrating our 37th year in business. Started in 1984. It's a little company in Montreal. We're still based out of the greater Montreal area. That's where our manufacturing facility is. We've been making hardscape products the entire time we've been in business. The first product we ever made was the first F-Low cleaner ever seen on the market back in 1985. Back then, we were actually doing and cleaning and sealing ourselves, and then we got into manufacturing a few years later. We brought polymeric sand to market in 1999. That's what you are used to seeing us in the United States would be all types of hardscape accessories. Anything that's not a piece of concrete or a piece of natural stone, we want to be every other product that you could possibly need on a hardscape job for that. Cleaners, sealers, adhesive, all that kind of stuff. If you go up to Canada, you might see us even a little bit more. You'll see us in your big box stores as well. Making wood stains, garage floor epoxies, roof coatings, and other liquids for around the house and around the yard. This has been episode 32, Hardscape Details That Matter, with Aaron Pfeiffer on the Garden Question Podcast. Thank you, Aaron. You're awesome. The goal is that every episode is valuable and well worth your time. Please generously share the Garden Question podcast with your friends, relatives, and neighbors. Check out our website, thegardenquestion.com, for links, resources, and where you can listen to every episode again and again. You will not want to miss a weekly episode, so please subscribe to the Garden Question podcast with Craig McManus on your favorite listening app. Keep on designing, building, and growing a smarter garden that works.